Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Rose Woman Pod. Uh, This month, we've been talking about family, all the ways we make kinship that have been either unacknowledged or unsupported. And my goal with this month is to open people's minds about the way we're living today and also to help change some of the narratives that cause suffering so that we can be more free and liberated and how all of us relate to our families. And today I am talking about stepmothering, step parenting to a certain extent, but with a large focus on the stepmom, because y'all are mostly women, more likely to be in that role. Stepmothering is fraught with all kinds of history, you know, all kinds of stories about stepmothers competing with their daughters for the parents' affection, for the father's affection, or out of jealousy, all kinds of things like that, that has been uh, present in narratives from Hansel and Gretel all the way up through Snow White and Disney and stuff like that. So, you know, we have this already this uh, expectation that it's going to be a hard or difficult role. But what's real today is that 42% of Americans live in close step relationships and that step parenting relationships are fundamentally different than primary family or biological family relationships. And that there is unfortunately not a lot of education on, on, on the body of knowledge that's now developed about how you do this role well. Uh, putting the kids first has become common knowledge in divorce in particular, you know, trying to not have a high conflict divorce for the children's best interests. But literally, uh, there are no clinical programs that really teach or focus on a standard curriculum in how you do the new blended family in a way that's great for the kids and great for the parents. I read a lot of stuff to get ready for this. Uh, one book I, I, I loved was Step Monster by Wednesday Martin, where she presents a tremendous amount of research data on this role. And in it, she says the impact on the stepmother, the stepmother carries a disproportionate and unavoidable amount of resentment in the blended family system, but that there are ways that we can make it easier. And today we're going to talk to two amazing uh, researchers. One is the OG of step family research, Dr. Patricia Papernow, who's been at it for 40 years, really a pioneer. And we're going to talk with her about what's possible. You know, how do we have the right expectations, stay in our lane, the importance of doing our own work, um, psychological and emotional work in the process. And then we're going to talk with Natalie Savell, who is a stepmom coach, a more hands-on coach. To the extent that we're focusing on the mom today, that's not because the children aren't important. They've just had quite a bit more attention paid to them in most coverage. And I believe that if the stepmother can kind of get an organized view of what all the dynamics are, and she can do more um, self-care, that actually that rolls out to a much more harmonious environment and benefits everyone. But, you know, she really hasn't gotten a lot of resource. And of course, it's a whole family system. So stepfathers also have a role. Uh, Read Patricia's books. She has a workbook. Read Natalie's workbook. Do some of those exercises. Get Step Monster and, you know, digest them. Like you share your experiences and best practices in these forms and things. And you can really shift the trajectory for your family. I mean, I read in in the Wednesday Martin book is that 70% of, of second marriages where there are children present end up in divorce. Although that number ranges from 41% to 70% in various literature, the U.S. Census Bureau does say that second marriages fail more than 60% of the time. So it's hard to tell what role the stepchildren have in increasing the incidence of that from the data that's available. Anyway, in large part, this is such a difficult thing to navigate for people. So whole new skill set, and I know that you can do it. You know, we're all about more love around here and more freedom. And that's what I hope you get out of today's pod. So as we get started, Patricia Papper now will talk about the difference between the insider parent or the parent and child bond, the outsider parent, the step and child, other kinds of loyalty bonds and the possibility of blending. The first thing to understand is that language blended, blended family, it captures the longing that we all have. 
you know, you go into a new family and you're hoping to have a better family than the one before and you're wanting everybody to be close. But the reality is that step family structure is fundamentally different from a first time family. And one of the reasons is that in a first time family, the adult couple has some time together usually to get to know each other, to make a solid relationship. And kids enter that relationship and they enter hardwired for attachment to both parents and vice versa. So both parents can be gaga about a kid. I'm watching my daughter and her husband. They're just gaga about their little boy. In a step family, the previous relationship is the parent-child relationship. Plus, there is an ex-spouse, dead or alive. That's also a previous relationship. And the step-parent enters as an outsider to the parent-child relationship, to the understandings about, well, in my family, is grape nuts a form of cardboard or a breakfast food? You know, my daughter and I, uh, it was a breakfast food. And my husband and his kids, it was a form of cardboard. Those agreements are in the parent-child relationship. So every time a child enters the room or conversation, if the parent is a good parent, they turn to the child and the step-parent is left out. And uh, those are, being left out is hard for humans. Feeling like an outsider, we are not meant for that. Um, and so the step-parent speaks up and even if they do it skillfully, then the parent feels torn. I turn to my sweetie and my kids feel left and I turn to my kids and my, my uh, sweetie feels left. So it's a very different relationship for the adults. And kids come into a step family very differently than a first time family. You know, when your parent falls in love, they turn away. Adults are just as gaga when they're in love as teenagers are. Watch them with their texting, you know. So kids feel a little left and often it's too much change. Often the adults want to move quickly. They're in love and it's much too much for the kids. And then there's loyalty binds. If I care about my step parent, my mom's going to be upset. I'm disloyal to my mom. So it's a very, very different kind of a family. So you bring all of that perspective into both a clinical environment and into the education you do for other um, psychologists. And when you sit them down and say, you know, you've got to really understand these different loyalties, does it get absorbed? Are they taking it and creating a new body of knowledge? Both therapists and, and people and, you know, people in step families come to me and say, I finally read your book. And we're talking about the second book, Surviving and Thriving in Step Family Relationships Now. I finally read, thank goodness, I wish I'd read it earlier. Now I get it. And therapists are thrilled to have a clear map. It used to be really hard to get therapists to show up unless they were already in a step family. Now it's much less difficult. So if they get it. The dilemma is it's not being taught enough. 42% of Americans have a close step family relationship with all of the difference I've, I've just talked about and a few more. And almost no clinical programs teach it. So people go for help and they're not getting good help. And the information out there still isn't good quality. There's a lot now with blogging and Twitter feeds and, you know, websites. But a lot of it is, um, well, in the research world, we call it an N of one. It's one person's experience. It's not based on what we know about what works and what doesn't. There isn't enough information out there. Yeah, I love that you said that it's one person's experience. I mean, that's helpful because if you have a, you know, similarities to the speaker, to the person who's writing, you can learn something, but it doesn't, can't be extrapolated. Even in stuff you said right there, like if I'm a mother and I'm a good mother and I enjoy an amazing experience with my own children, I would anticipate that, hey, these are just a couple more kids. How hard is it going to be? And you step into the new space and it's brutal. I mean, I can say it's really sweet and we're all doing our best and all that stuff, but it's often brutal for the step-parent. So, so let's just talk a little bit, because we have mostly women listening, about the differences between being a mother and a stepmother. Well, first of all, if you're a mother to your own kids, you have that attachment with them. But your stepkids, first of all, they have another mother, dead or alive. 
and they have a much closer relationship with their father than they do with you. Younger kids are more accessible. Kids eight and under are easier. And kids who don't have a loyalty bind, meaning uh, mom and dad divorced fairly calmly um, and are fairly friendly. Even then kids have loyalty binds sometimes, but those kids are more accessible. If you've got a kid, especially uh, boys do this easier than girls, a girl who's about 11, 12, 13, the age my daughter was when I met my second husband, and you have any kind of tension between uh, that child's uh, parent and the ex-spouse, that child is not going to be real welcoming. And, you know, we're neurobiologically wired for people to turn towards us. That's what the neurobiologists tell us. And to have a kid who turns away, who isn't interested, who goes to daddy, not to me, that's painful. If it's your own kid, if your kid turns away from you, you know, you don't like it, but you've got a solid base. And that makes a big, big difference. The other thing is you can discipline your own kids. One of the really big differences between step parenting and parenting is that we have learned parents need to retain the disciplinary role until or unless step parents have a close, trusting relationship with kids. And that's more likely with kids eight and under. Um, my daughter was 12, 13 when I met my second husband. He's never had a disciplinary role with her. So there are very healthy step families where the step parent becomes a more of an aunt or an uncle, an adult friend, an intimate outsider, close enough to know my daughter well, but far enough so he doesn't have some of the muck that a mom brings to a relationship and she doesn't have some of the muck with him. There are a lot of wonderful roles for step parents, but disciplinarian needs to be pretty much the last one. So it's different. Parenting and step parenting are really different. If you come in knowing that there's going to be this prior bond, you come in knowing that there's a loyalty with the existing step parent you'll take or the existing parent, you'll take it a lot less personally, is my guess. You're set up for success. Exactly. If you're driving around without a map, how many wrong turns are you going to make? If you're driving around Los Angeles and you think you're in Indianapolis, how many wrong turns are you going to make? And when you're making wrong turns, everybody gets tense. You blame yourself or you blame each other. If you're in Los Angeles and you have a map of Los Angeles, it's going to be a lot better. And if you have a guidance like, you know, on this road, there's a pothole and you want to stay to the left so, so you don't end up in the pothole. Or the streets get really tangled here. Take it really, really slow. Those That makes a big difference. It can still be hard, but you know where you are. There's not as much shame or blame. And you're, at least you're doing what works. You're not trying to discipline your partner's kids. You're not expecting those kids to be in love with you. And if you're if you're doing well, when the kids are rejecting, you can go to your, your husband and say, or your partner and say, can I have a hug? please. And that makes a big difference. He wrote that one of the greatest predictors of children's well-being in a step family is whether the parents get along. I think that was whether the birth parents get along, that there's not conflict with them, or is it all the adults in the relationship? Can you talk about that? How do we support our children the best? The biggest predictor of kids' well-being is not whether they're in a single parent family or a step family or a first-time family. There are a couple of things, but one really important one is the level of conflict and tension between the adults. Children who are in a divorced family where the adults are getting along are doing better than children in a never divorced family where the adults are not getting along. So adult tension impacts kids, whether it's the parent and the step parent or the parent and the other parent. Right. So here you are in a situation where you left the other person probably because you had conflict with them and your your well-being, your kids' well-being depends on getting along with them. So I would imagine taking care of yourself as a step parent is a critical thing and continuing to grow emotionally so that you know how to respond if the old triggers come up with your ex-spouse and how to hold your new spouse with love and empathy. You are so right. One of the things I say to therapists is we have to hold our own clients. When there's an ex-spouse who's doing, quote, bad things, or being, at least as our client tells us, 
being really nasty, we have to hold our own clients uh, responsible for not putting kerosene on the fire. And it means we have to help our own clients use their best skills in situations that often pull for their worst. So if you're that person with an ex-spouse who's very triggering, you're going to need to know when you are triggered, when your, what we call your arousal level, your tension level goes up and be able to calm yourself down. And I've had a couple of uh, people with fairly difficult ex-spouses who had to do some real uh, therapy for themselves to get to know the parts of them that were really being uh, uh, stirred up. And once you take care of some of those young, young parts, you know, if you've got a parent, if you were not parented well where you came from and your ex-husband is being horrible to the kids, it's very triggering, much more. I mean, nobody would like it, <laughs> you know. I have a thing I call Papernow's bruise theory of feelings. If you hit me in my arm, it hurts. But if there's already a bruise there, it hurts more. And if there's a deep bruise, you're going to get fight, flight, freeze from me. So healing old bruises can really help a lot. And learning how to pull up your best skills and being strategic. I have a, two, a couple, both of their ex-spouses are very triggering. He reads the email from her ex. He writes the response because it's not his ex. He can write a response. She only reads the response. Yes, uh, sorry that uh, Janie can't come for X, but you know, she has a birthday party on Y. Same thing, he gets a, a triggering email from his ex-wife. She reads that email and she writes the response and he reads only the response. I thought that was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. They managed it together. That's a beautiful creation of a third body between them. Yeah. And, you know, there is some really good news. If you are, the other thing that matters for kids' well-being is what we call authoritative parenting. Parenting that is warm and empathic and loving and that provides moderately firm, developmentally appropriate limits and expectations and follows through on them. That's authoritative parenting. Permissive parenting is you're loving, but you don't demand much of kids. Authoritarian parenting is you're harsh and cold. You set great limits, but you're too hard and you're not loving enough. And disengaged parenting is you're not really there. Authoritative parenting by one parent, even if the other, if the ex-spouse is pretty awful, makes a big difference. And I actually have several clients where I've watched this. And it's very comforting to know you keep being steady. You keep showing up for your kid. You keep setting limits in a warm and caring and clear way, even though he, he's really harsh or he doesn't set any, and your kid will probably be okay. That's really good news. <laughs> That's great news. I mean, this you're coming back to the last point, which is you stay steady in yourself. You know who you are. You know when you get triggered. One thing that I've heard or and seen in some cases is when there's a new step family forming and the one of the bio parents doesn't have a new partner and they get so scared that the kids will belong to the new family and they'll be abandoned and left alone. And so if you're, if you're that parent, you need to know that there's never going to be another mother or another father. Can we, can we talk about, about the, what do you, you call that? The insider parent who's outside the core. Ah, I don't know. Anyway, the biological parent who is not yet married. That's talking from both points of view. You're, you're a mom, you're divorced, and your partner recouples. It's scary. You know, we teach everybody to share, but sharing, parenting your kids is hard. It's hard. And knowing that uh, your best, the best way you can support your kids is, to, is not to make tension. Knowing that the re other research we have is kids do best when they have positive relationships with all the adults in their lives. Knowing that can help some, but it's scary. Reminding yourself that your children have a permanent place in your heart and you have a permanent place in theirs. And your best uh, insurance at keeping that relationship is being the very best parent that you can be. 
and not pulling the kids. Now, that's also true on the other side. Lots of times I see stepmothers who want to move in really fast. And if they're very young kids, the kids may be okay. It, that's very frightening to, to moms. And one of the things I say to stepmoms is, if the mom is having a hard time, you're going to have to slow down. It is, it's hard. You know, you're cooking and cleaning and doing laundry and schlepping kids. You want to go to their school conference. But you're only involved for six months. And their mom is not ready to have you as part of their lives. Um, so you're going to have to slow down. The other thing that I teach the new couple to do is reassure the ex, for gosh sakes. You know, I have something I call loyalty binds that you do with a kid and you say to the kid, you know, it can be confusing to some kids to have a mom and a stepmom, but I want you to know your mom has a permanent place in your heart, like the sun, like the mountains. And humans' hearts are big. I hope you come to like Janie or Joe, but it will be a different place in your heart. Share those with the mom. Just want you to know. This is what we're telling the kids. We are telling the kids that you have a permanent place in your kids, in, in their hearts, that uh, Janie or Joe will never, ever, ever take over that place. Stepmoms step can do it. They can reach out and say, just so you know, you've raised some great kids. I hope I can contribute to their lives. Uh, just, just so you know. I know you're the mom. I'm never going to be their mom. I hope I'll be like an aunt or an uncle or a teacher or somebody extra them, but I will never, never take your place. Mm, that's so gracious. Yes. It requires that you pull up your best self. And sometimes it's hard. <laughs> Do we have a script somewhere? Here are your trigger phrases that you can hear the key phrases, but Dr. Patricia suggests uh, for you to use. If you don't know what to say to the ex, try this one. You know, I'd like to see, maybe those are on your Twitter. I didn't look. <laughs> I'll bet they're in chapter seven of surviving and thriving and step family relationships. I'll bet they are. They're also maybe the newest book is the step family handbook. It was written with a co-author who's a post-divorce co-parenting coach. There's likely something, some things in that book because she's very much about how, how do you support uh, both parents. <clears throat> So either book might have something in it. Let's talk about the parent in the middle, the one in the middle who's sort of like, ah, my ex, ah, my new spouse, and it feels like they're in a tug of war. How do we have compassion and understanding for that role? Well, that is a really tough role. You know, when your partner says, I'm unhappy, most of us want to fix it somehow. If my partner says, um, I, you know, um, the story I often start my workshops with is, you know, uh, Joe and Janie are talking and uh, Joe's daughter gets off the bus and she's made the soccer team or she hasn't made the soccer team. She bursts in the door and who does she want to talk to? She wants to share the news with her daddy. Daddy and the new partner have been having a conversation. And what does a good daddy do? He turns away towards his kid. And the new partner's left like uh, a sack of, you know, rocks. <laughs> Later on, if that new partner is uh, skilled, she may be able to say, gee, that was a little tough. Could you give me a hug? Even if she does it well, if you're the insider person, it's anxious. Oh, my goodness. I took care of my kid and my partner's upset. Oh, my goodness. Now, if the partner does it poorly, I can't believe you did that to me. That's going to make it that much worse. Um, so it can be quite anxious. One of the things I tell step couples is trying to do this all in one blended group is hard. You do want to do fun things together as a new family. And everybody needs one-to-one -one time. So if you're the insider parent, trying to spend time with your kid and without alienating your partner and trying to have your partner at the dinner table, but your kids only want to talk to you, you know, that's very anxious. <laughs> but if you're spending one-to-one -one time with your kids, one-to-one -one time with your partner, that is one way 
to navigate this. It's one way to it's what we call attachment needs. The attachment needs, the need for connection and caring in the couple is in conflict with the need for attachment, connection and caring in the parent-child relationship in a step family. So giving some time to each really, really helps a lot. Mm, I have a distinct memory of that situation and my stepdaughter coming in and my partner turning to talk with her, but then reaching around my back at the same time and bringing me with him so that we were both facing her. He had his hand at my mid-back and he sort of had his hand at my mid-back while he was super engaged and looking at her. And it was such a... I did feel like I, he was bringing me with him. Oh, sweet. And you know, he did it. If he had put his arm around you, obviously it might have been hard for his daughter. It turns out, you know, we, we want to give kids a, a model of a friendly, warm relationship with the adults. But kids don't want to watch their parent be physical with a step-parent. But step-parents need the contact. He did it in such a lovely way. He put his hand on your back so that you felt his presence. He wasn't like hanging all over you so his daughter would have been upset. That's brilliant. I love it. I tell parents, play footsie under the table. Play footsie under the table would be better than, you know, the admonishment we got from our kids was to get a room all the time. Like They were very disgusted. So we did not know this core concept, sadly. I would I woulda, coulda, shoulda. Well, it seems logical. Yeah, it seems logical. You want to model a loving, affectionate. Yeah, but here's what I say to um, step couples. Imagine you've been single for a while and you have a really good buddy. And you and your good buddy have been single together. And now your buddy falls in love. And you go to lunch with your buddy and his or her new partner. And they are all over each other. How do you feel? A bit like chopped meat, and do you really want to watch them kiss? I don't think so. Now, imagine you're a kid. You're not an adult. You're a kid, and you rely on that parent for your well-being that much harder. For sure. So I think we've got some pretty good ideas already. It's know that the role will be different. Understand that standing in your center, working on yourself, uh, working on things that trigger you, holding your authoritative and warm heart, knowing yourself and being kind at the same time, anticipating and knowing what the right role is relative to the ex-spouse, being mindful of the conflicts that the spouse is going through and trying to hold your own. Uh, If you're an abandoned child or have an anxious attachment disorder, you might need extra hand-holding in that area. And then when you're thinking of those children, put yourself in their shoes and maybe reserve all of that hot, passion of new relationship energy for somewhere the children are not. I've got, I mean, that's a lot already. Well, you know, what has changed a lot is divorce. People are getting the information that you must not fight in front of kids is getting out there. So there is, you know, the number of really high conflict uh, ex-spouse relationships has gone down. There still are. It's about 5%. Often there's a trauma history there. But here's one thing that's changed. The divorce rate in the United States has gone down and evened out except over age 50, where it doubled between 1990 and 2010. Why? Well, first of all, the the percentage of people over 65 has uh, gone up exponentially throughout the world. So we have longer lives. Two-thirds of the people who leave are women. So women are more able to leave. Uh, Women now know they're going to have a lot more years and don't want to live this way. And that's true for men also who leave. Um, That's our best understanding. You know, that uh, the stigma around divorce uh, has receded some. Uh, Marriage rates are actually dropping. Um, so, you know, that you have to be married uh, is not as strong a value. And I think women are more likely now to have their own income, their own lives, and to know that they're going to be okay, you know, without a marriage. And men too, you know, a third of the people who leave are men. It's like, I don't want to live this way anymore. I know I got a lot of years left. And here's the deal. The fantasy is 
The dog is dead. The kids are out of the house and it's just us. Well, actually, it's not just us. Because now we don't only have an ex-spouse, we have a two or three decade ex-spouse relationship. Now we only not only have kids, we have adult kids with their own kids. And it turns out adult kids have a really hard time with divorce often. You know, the, the adults say, well, you know, my kids are adults, it won't be a big deal. Well, for adult kids, divorce really rips up a whole foundation. It turns out that a lot of the challenges for what we call gray recouplers are surprisingly similar to the challenges for younger recouplers. That's a great term. Gray recouplers. That's a fantastic term. The biggest increase in, I think it's dating sites, is silver surfers. (laughs) Gray recouplers are looking for a new person. That's the largest increase, people using dating sites. I love that. Yeah, I'm in I'm in my mid fifties, and um, let's talk about this this why these adult children like what if you're an adult and you just, wouldn't you just be like I'm so glad my dad or my mom is finally happy yay uh, what what what's getting in the way of that Well, you know, I live in an over fifty five community, and I can't tell you how many of my neighbors have said, "Why isn't my daughter happy for me? Why isn't my son happy for me? I finally met somebody." Yeah. Well. Yeah. Because it turns out when you fall in love, it's a loss to your kid. If you've been spending time with your kid and now you're an adult kid, you've been spending all the holidays, maybe your grandkids have been sleeping over, your adult kid has a key to your house, and now you fall in love, your new partner is there, your daughter comes in with her key to her house, and your new partner's not thrilled and your adult daughter feels it, or on a Saturday night when you would have been hanging with your grandkids and your adult kids, you're going to go out at the holiday. It's Passover or Christmas, you know, and you've spent it with your adult kids. Well, now you're going to Paris or now, you know, (laughs) you're doing something different. Um, It's a loss for kids. And then there's a whole interesting population. I had about 20 referrals uh, at one point. Adult daughters of recoupling dads are having a really hard time. So if the call is from the woman, the new partner, the woman, she's saying, I've met the love of my life. His daughter's wrecking things and he's not doing a thing about it. If I get the call from the dad, it's, I've met the love of my life. My daughter is really unhappy You and my new partner's unhappy. You, you have to do family therapy. You have to bring us together. And if I get the call from the daughter, it's, it's one of two things. It's often, my dad was never there. He worked all the time. He went to my brother's games, but he never came to mine, even though I was the captain of the basketball team. And now he wants me to embrace this new woman. That's one of the stories. And the other is, my dad and I were always close. You know, if the marriage was dead, dad and the daughter were really close. And since dad left mom, we've been really close. And now he's in love and I've lost him. So partly with the couples, I'm saying, you know, blending is what you want. You want this kid to be on board. I can help you understand what happened here. Are you interested? (laughs) I can tell them the story. And you're going to need to work on your relationship and the left out step parents, usually a, a woman, um, you need to be able to reach for your husband. You need to be able to or your partner and say, I need a hug. You cannot ask him to cut off his daughter. You cannot insist that when he sees his daughter, you must be present. And I'm saying to the partner, you know, you do need to show up for your, your partner is really left out. She is really being rejected big time. And you do need to show up for her. You need to get it. You need to hold her. You, you need to t- take your fix-it part and ask it to t- take a seat and really try to understand what it feels like. You can hold her. You can comfort her. You cannot cut your daughter off. And I'll tell you, I have had a number of referrals where the previous therapist says, this is the reality. 
The new couple is the reality. The adult daughter should just get on board. And what I say is, yeah, there are two realities here. There's a new couple relationship and there's a long-standing, decades-long father-child relationship. So it, those, those families have to work on two tracks. The adult couple needs to do their work and dad um, needs to do some work with his daughter. If it's a fraught or distant relationship, he needs help really hearing how much pain she's in and beginning to get to know her, go and doing things together. If it's because they were very, very close, uh, daughter's going to need help telling dad just how important he was and is to her, how much he, she's missing him. And uh, he's going to need help holding her grief. We know we don't teach guys to do this stuff. And lots of times they need a lot of help doing it. That's a long answer to your question. No, it's very eye-opening to hear how much adult children still long for and uh, want one-on-one -on -one time with their parent. And whether it's taking solo trips or having solo time or, uh, you know, really trying to not just force the blending, I think that actually puts my nervous system at ease. The idea of, you know, it doesn't have to be all shiny new togetherness. You can just do you. My, my, um, my boyfriend has a child and, uh, and it's such a joy for me when they go off and do something by themselves because I get an extra day to paint or futz around and I enjoy being alone. I enjoy hanging out with my girlfriends. I enjoy hanging out with my kids. And then when we have something that's all groupy, that's nice too. But I, I really think this not forcing it has helped us sustain things. You know, I love that. You know, I just consulted to a couple where she actually is single. She's about 50. He's got three adult kids and he wants to spend time with his kids and they don't want her there. And she feels he's in, enmeshed with his kids. That it's inappropriate that he spend time alone with his kids. Luckily, they have a really, really good therapist who's working really hard with them. But he's got a great relationship with his kids. He just needs to be with them without her. Yeah, I love my adult kids. I love my adult kids. And I love spending time with them alone. This thing that you're saying about, you know, it was really little. The example you used in the beginning, it was something like grape nuts. You know, well, let's call it the grape nuts kinds of issues. There's a low grade stress when there's constant grape nuts issues all day long, you know. So like just to be like, yeah, we know each other's rhythm. We know each other's flow. I love that. And then, you know, they can also disclose more of what's really moving in their deepest heart. And that's difficult to do with someone that's not a, that's a stranger. So there's something in what you're saying about acknowledging that need until the end of life that also gives space for there not to be a sense that the new person is taking something away from the adult children, but to gradually accept that this is a person my father loves until they start asking, so how's your girlfriend? You know, until it becomes like, tell me about you, dad. And he can say, oh, I'm so in love. Oh, it's so wonderful. You know, that would be my dream anyway. Does that happen? Tell me in clinical practice. I think it depends on the kid, first of all. And it depends on the relationship between the parent and the child. And it there are situations where it does not happen and situations where it does. I, You know, I, I just supervised a, a, a wonderful supervisee who just helped a family through this. And the stepmother finally got it together to really be able to hear how hard it was for the daughter, the adult daughter, how hard it was for the adult daughter when the stepmother, it's not stepmothers, the adult daughter's like 30, but when the new partner showed up. And that really helped. It really helped. Well, the complexity of this is we're not going to solve it in 45 minutes of talking. So I want everyone out there to go and get Dr. Patricia Pepperno's books, if you are engaged in any kind of step-family relationship. And that's probably one in two of you, from what I hear. And if you're just starting on something, save yourself a lot of heartache and sadness and unnecessary drama and withhold by reading this stuff. Uh, we're all dealing with our own levels of ability to be present with our emotions. And there'll be a lot of them in a new step-family. Well, as we switch from Dr. Patricia Pepper now to Natalie Savell, who is a stepmom coach, get ready for a tone change because Natalie is down and dirty, helping women really understand 
what's theirs to do? How do you step into this relationship with these young beings? Or I mean, as we heard from Patricia, even adult beings, that is respectful for them and also self honoring. So Natalie, how did you get interested in the subject of step parenting? Well, I'm a stepmom myself, so um, we do have a pretty alternative family. <laughs> Speaking of modern families, my partner, I'm not married to him in the traditional sense, but we are committed to each other, and he has an 11-year-old son from a free- previous marriage, so that, of course, has made me a stepmom. And I've been with him for about seven years now, and it was a really challenging role for me, particularly at the beginning. I actually did some research and found a stepmom coach myself and worked with her. I think we only had like five sessions and it was transformative just because she was able to be like, yes, this is normal that this is difficult and this is normal that you're feeling this way. And here's some strategies and mindsets that nobody else is probably going to tell you. Um, I have a master's in counseling. I'm a licensed professional counselor, as well as a certified stepmom coach. And we hardly talked about blended families in my master's program. And a lot of therapists will misguide blended families, actually, in the advice and the guidance that they give them. That's kind of what turned me on to working with them is I just saw this need. And when I started working with her, there was hardly any resources for stepmoms. And you know how under-resourced moms are in general. So I think stepmoms are even more under-resourced. And I think that their job is even harder. There's just a lot of misguidance, false expectations. And I wanted to be a part of supporting other people who had felt similarly to how I had felt. Stepmom coach was a new idea for me. So can you tell us what a stepmom coach is and how you work with women? So I work with stepmoms in a couple different ways. I have a group, as you know, and we I meet with them virtually bi-weekly. And that is a very process-oriented group at this time. I've done more guided groups where we talked about different subjects every week. This group is more process-oriented. It's more of a conversation and a support group. So stepmoms come and they share whatever's going on. Uh, It's very growth-oriented. It's meant to be growth-oriented, so not just venting and, you know, complaining about the ex or (laughs) venting about their husbands. It's about how do we move forward and how do we be empowered in these situations that where so much is out of our control and there are things that we have to navigate that nobody else really understands. So our mom friends don't understand. Our single friends don't really understand Anyone who hasn't been in the role doesn't really understand the complexities. And so all the women are really oriented towards, okay, how do I be empowered? What are tools I can use? What are mindset shifts I can I can use that will support me in this situation? Do you work with stepmoms individually in addition to working with the Facebook group and group processes? Yeah. A lot of therapists don't understand the nuances of the dynamics, and so they don't know how to support stepmoms. So a lot of what I do with stepmoms, it's not teaching them how to parent the way that a parent coach would. It's more about helping them take care of themselves, helping them be healthy so that they can be healthy in their relationship. I have a pyramid where I put the self on the bottom tier, right? We have to have a a healthy relationship with ourselves in order to have a healthy relationship with our partners. So that's the foundation. A lot of, as you know, a lot of moms, a lot of women, we're taught to nurture, we're taught to caretake. We come into a situation, especially with stepmoms, they see, oh, there's this missing piece. There's this brokenness, right? I want to fix that piece. I want to move into the space that's broken and make everything better for everyone. And that's not our job. It's not our role and it doesn't work. (laughs) So a lot of stepmoms two years in end up exhausted, burnt out, and confused, and resentful, and overwhelmed. Why isn't this working? I want to fix these problems. I see these issues, and maybe the husband didn't heal completely from the divorce before. So there's some, he didn't build a relationship with his kids where they have a foundation themselves, and the stepmom can jump in and just add on to that foundation. Oftentimes, it happens really quickly. They get in before they're ready, and then they're overwhelmed and resentful because they've been overstretched and overdoing. And and moms end up the same way. There's just this burnout. I think it can happen more easily with stepmoms. It happens so often. It's almost, I can guarantee it almost every time I'll talk to someone six months in a year and, oh yeah, he has kids. It's so great. I love it. I'm like being a mother figure and I love fitting into his life and taking care of them. It's the best. I'm like, okay, talk to me in a year. Like, we'll talk in a year. We'll see how it's going. And a year later, it's like 
almost without a doubt, it's very rare that they are able to jump in and settle in and be just everyone gets along and there's no issues and they love the kids. And there's just so many things that can make it more complicated. So Natalie, what do you think makes the stepmothering part harder? I think, right, you haven't been there since birth. So often it's amazing to me also how many stepmoms come to me who are in the helping profession and they're like, I'm a teacher, I'm a nurse, I'm a pediatric nurse, or I'm a counselor. I've always worked with kids. I don't know why this is so hard. I feel like I should know how to do this. It happens all the time I hear this from women. They're smart, they're successful, they're hardworking, they've, you know, they're accomplished, like they're successful in all of their areas, and then they just get stumped in the stepmom role. And I think it's a lot because they haven't been there from the beginning. They think they know better than their husbands a lot of times. So they'll say, well, I see that this should be happening. And I know kids should be raised this way. And I know this is what's best for this child. And I say, you have to defer to the husband. He's been around since they were born. He knows the dynamic with his ex. You have to trust what he says, you know, (laughs) and you have to defer to what he is saying is best, even though that can be so hard and it can feel like you know better. And sometimes from an outside perspective, it does give you a little bit of a non-emotional perspective that can be helpful, right? But the way that you earn the trust is through through building the relationships and building the trust and building the love before you start to input how you think things should be done. I always say you have to build connection before discipline. So that's a perfect example. Stepmoms come in, they see, oh, the kid's not going to bed when he should. Well, I'm going to make the kid go to bed when he should, right? Because I see that my husband hasn't been doing that. But I know what's best for the child is to go to bed at 8 o'clock. So I'm going to implement that. But they haven't established enough of a trusting relationship with the child for the child to be able to respond well to that and for the husband to be able to respond well to that, right? He might think he needs the help and want the help and maybe even invite the help. Sure, if you want to put the kid to bed, go ahead. Like, I'll let you do that, right? But that it's not going to be sustainable long term because there isn't that established connection and love. So eventually if the kid starts to rebel, oh, I decided I don't want to go to bed anymore, and, and the stepmom hasn't developed that love and trust and connection, the husband also is going to mistrust the stepmom. Well, I don't know what your intentions are now. You're getting mad at the child now for not going to bed at 8 o'clock, stuff like that, right? So I mean, what you're saying is so wise, make the connection first, et cetera. But you know, at the same time, it means that the woman can't be the authority in her own home so much of the time. And that just sounds so frustrating. So what do you tell women who are wanting to, you know, both support the kids transitions and also to have sanctuary in their own home? Yeah, so it can definitely be a challenge. There's a lot of needs that need to be considered in the situation and the husband's juggling all these needs. So he's juggling the ex's needs, he's juggling the kids needs and the stepmom's needs as well. And one of the things that I offer is a a step couple workbook to, for with basic concepts of how to have a healthy step couple. And it includes getting clear about your expectations. You mentioned this earlier, both people in the relationship getting clear about what is expected from the stepmom to do. So what role she's supposed to play in the household, what works for the husband, what works for her. And why that's so important and, and why it can be so difficult is because often the stepmom wants to do more than she's actually up for doing. So she'll say, she might be doing their laundry and she might be helping with their schoolwork and she might be picking them up and dropping them off to and from school because it's helpful to the husband. And she might actually really dislike that because she misses her yoga class at the time that she has to pick them up from school. So she builds resentment, but she wants to help her husband, right? So they have to figure out, okay, I need to go to my yoga class. We have to figure out another plan for somebody else to pick them up. Because often they, they're not honest with – I see this a lot where stepmoms just are not being completely honest with themselves about where their energy really is for what they're able to offer and really willing to offer. So getting really honest with themselves and being able to communicate that with their partners, even if their expectations are on opposite ends of the spectrum, it's so important for them to see, oh, you're over there and I'm over here. How can we start to come together so that we can meet more in the middle And this is where we're at right now, and we're going to have to accept that about each other. So Natalie, what do you think is the right relationship for a woman to her stepchildren? I mean, I guess that kind of depends on how old they are when she arrives into the family and how active the biological mom is and all kinds of other things. But is there a range of healthy relationships that we could expect to see? I tell them you create your role. So you're spot on. You decide what works for you and your given situation. 
if they have an opposite parenting style to their husband or their partner, they might need to step back more. If they have similar styles and they agree on everything, they can be super involved and that might work really well. If they have stepkids whose personalities rub them the wrong way for whatever reason, they might need to step back, right? So it just really depends on all the dynamics. Maybe the ex is really involved and the stepmom is really stressed out because she's calling the kids every day that they're at their dad's house and wanting to control what's happening over there. And that happens all the time. So then the stepmom has to figure out, well, I just need to be out of the room when that happens. So it's it's a lot about setting boundaries and figuring out, like being really honest, like I said, and figuring out what works for you in that situation. And I do, I, I love how your podcast has so many themes around women just trusting themselves and owning their truths and finding their power. And I think the stepmoms that I work with, that's exactly it. It's it's I've said before that it's a spiritual growth opportunity because it really asks women to step to another level of owning their truth and owning their power and being clear with themselves and being clear in their communication and prioritizing self-care and prioritizing having a healthy relationship before anything else, or you're just going to crumble. One thing that I've seen is competition between the incoming stepmother or the bio mother. I mean, or the other way around, like the bio mom gets triggered and begins to compete and do weird things with the stepmom. What do you say to your clients about that? Yeah, that happens all the time. And sometimes even the biological mom will be fine with everything and then they'll get married and it's like, bam, all of a sudden, we call them the bio mom in the stepmom coaching world. And all of a sudden the bio mom starts to try to control things or come over or send messages through the kids. Or, I mean, there's all kinds of just wild stuff that happens. And all the stepmoms that I talk to think that they're the only ones who this is happening. They're like, the bio mom that I deal with, she's the only, she's the craziest one. Like you would never talk to anyone else who had the situation. The stuff she does is so off the wall. You would never believe it. And then, and they all say that, you know, there's so many instances of it. It's just wild. And one of the people that I interviewed for, I did a virtual telesummit called Reimagining the Blended Family. And one of the people that I interviewed, Erin Careless, she talks about Three's a crowd. So she says how if you have two women, th- we're still kind of in the same family as the ex, right? We're all, we're all involved in parenting. And both the women are culturally trained to be these m- mothering, nurturing people. And it doesn't work. There has to be somebody who says, okay, this is not my job. This is not my role. I'm going to let the mom be the mom, even if I don't like her decisions, even if I don't like the, what she does. And step back. Another thing stepmoms often try to do is they'll say, oh, I'm going to try to reach out to the bio mom. I really think I should establish a relationship with her. Her kids are at my house all the time and I just want to reach out to her and talk to her. And they try so hard to build a connection and a bond with the bio mom, with the ex. And often the first or second time they get some kind of a rejection, like, no, I'm not ready. And they'll say, oh, she won't let me. She, I just want to bond with her. Why won't she let me connect with her? And I always tell them, I'm like, you have to let her come around to you in your own time. It's almost the same with the kids. Like, you have to let them lead because this is hard for everyone involved. It's hard. A divorce is hard on everyone. And it's hard on the kids. It's hard on – you don't know what that woman is going through. She's she, she might not be over him completely. She's going through her own stuff with it, right? Whatever it is, you don't know. So – It's a lot about stepping back and giving other people breathing room and knowing that you're entering into a delicate situation. That takes a lot of maturity. I mean, there can be so much fear even in the bio mom of like, what if if this new family he's making can make the family we never had? You know, why is she better than me? There's all these questions of self-worth. But I have seen also the other thing happen where the bio mom is so relieved to have a good supportive stepmom or a partner in that regard that she has less requirement to be on all the time. Have you seen that? It does happen sometimes. Yeah, I've seen that too, where the bio mom's actually really grateful for the stepmom because she's like, oh, good, there's another female figure in my kid's life at their dad's house. And she's able to make some nurturing space there for them, right? And be really appreciative. So that does happen sometimes too, for sure. The hardest for me to witness is when the kids get stuck between who they're going to be loyal to and this wall just goes up Then everybody's heart seems to close. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that these women who are, they're like, I'm with kids all the time. What do you mean? How, how am I not 
breaking through the situation or how am I not getting along with the kids? And the stepmom is the easiest target. The kids are always going to be loyal to their biological parents first. And oftentimes if something's going on between the kids and the bio mom, they'll take it out on the stepmom because she's an easier target. They're not going to blame their mom for things they don't like if something's making them uncomfortable. But the stepmom, they don't have that loyalty to. They don't have that automatic bond. And I don't care what people say. I, I would imagine that this can happen sometimes. So I'll be careful about how I say this. And most frequently, I would say out of all the stepmoms I've talked to, maybe it isn't true 10 or 5% of the time, but most frequently, there is not the same love and connection as there is with a biological child. And I've seen it happen where step parents say, oh yeah, I love my stepkid like my own. Absolutely. No problem. Of course. Like I love them like my own. And then they have their own kid and they're like, oh no, I did not love my stepkid like my own. I had no idea what it was like to love a child of my own. And so something that I do is normalize that for stepmoms. It's okay that you don't love them like your own because most of the time they don't. There's a personality difference or there just isn't that same connection. They didn't grow in your body. You didn't give birth to them. You didn't nurture them as infants. You don't have all that eye contact that's so important to build bonds through babyhood and through early childhood. So that's part of what I encourage stepmoms to do is just accept that you might not ever love them like your own. And that's okay. How else can you build a relationship with them that's positive, knowing that that might not be the case? Here's another situation that I've witnessed. What do you suggest women do when the father's gotten into a pattern with their children where the child doesn't respect your beloved? That's like, that hurts your heart so much. Yeah. So I think the best response is to speak your mind, to say what you think. I don't like hearing you talk to him like that. It hurts my feelings or it makes me sad when you talk to your dad like that. And then leaving it. That's it. Just speaking. If you need to express it, say it and then leave it. Ultimately, it's up to the man, the dad, how he's spoken to by his children. And I think something that stepmoms do a lot is they think, well, if he's talking to his dad this way, in 20 years, how's he going to talk to his boss or his manager? And that's where like the voices come in and the, the spirals come in of, oh gosh, I need to stop this right now because otherwise it's going to be a disaster and something bad's going to happen. I think taking a pause with that and saying that's not necessarily true. I heard one stepmom say that she asked her stepkid about this specific issue and the kid said, well, I just feel like it's casual. And the dad said, I'm okay with it because it feels informal to me. It feels like they don't have to dress themselves up or be formal with me. And as long as they're being respectful outside of the home, it's not a problem for me personally. So that, I mean, it is really challenging. It can be really hard for the stepmom to say, okay, it's not my, not my problem. But in a way, it's not. Knowing what, what's yours to do. Yep. Yeah. Knowing what's yours to do. Staying in your lane. Yep. And I tell stepmoms a lot too, you're not responsible for your stepkids, but you are responsible for the impact that you have on them. So you're not responsible for how they turn out, but you are responsible for your influence and impact on them. And whether that be you're in a motherly role with them, whether you're in more of an auntie role with them, maybe you're a positive female role model. Maybe that's all you've got to give, right? That's okay. That can be perfectly fine. And as long as you're being the best you can be and you're being a positive impact on them, that's that's your biggest responsibility. Yeah. In Hawaii, where I live a lot of the time, they refer to all non-parental female figures like as auntie. And the first time a small child came up and said, auntie, and talked to me. I just melted because it has this implicit acknowledgement that we're all related and we're all in it together, this sort of communalism that is so sweet. Yeah, I love that too. And we're I think we're missing that in our culture where even at the playground, like don't you dare reprimand another child, another person's child, right? Because people get offended by that. And really it's, I think of it, I wish we were more, had, had more of a collective mind about it. We're all kind of here for the kids. Like, let's all help out and let's all take care of each other's children the way that, you know, the way that feels good to us. So do you have any advice for keeping the relationship fire alive amidst all of this? Well, I think it takes a lot of intention and prioritizing to, to keep that alive when there's kids involved and then you add in the blend and it does make it even more difficult. Oftentimes the dad is... When the kids are over, for example, he doesn't want to go out for a date night because he only has them three days a week. So he's not going to take that time with the, his 
partner, or if it's a lesbian couple, the right, the woman isn't going to take the time away to, to prioritize the relationship. So that can definitely add complication to it. There has to be intention is really the main thing. So there has to be communication and intention that we're going to make this a priority and how do we make this work? How do we have time for ourselves where it's just the two of us, whether it's when the stepkids are here or not? Maybe you wait till the stepkids are gone and that's fine. Again, it has to be what works for the whole dynamic of the whole unit. And I think it's important to be creative. So it can be that you have breakfast once a week or that you meet in the middle of the day for lunch or you have a sex date. You know, you t- you, I, th- I believe in sex dates. I think let's Thursday night, eight o'clock, meet me in bed after the kids are asleep. Let's do it. You know, and I think that's, I think it is important. A lot of people think it's silly because it's not, um, spontaneous so it's less romantic and I'm like no when you have all these kids you sometimes that's the best way to do it and it can still be super fun and it can even be even funner because then you have the build-up to it and you can be like oh I can't wait for Thursday night and there there's a build-up that can be really fun and exciting so in some ways it can be more romantic you know I think I feel like giving my own stepmother a shout out um, because you know when she first married my dad my mother had died and I was 12 or 13 when she showed up 12 I think and it was really bitter and a lot of fighting. But now she's almost 80 and she's been my best friend. She's my oldest, uh, my only senior kin in the family network. And she's become a great, amazing step-grandmother um, to my own children. She's artistic and kind and collaborative and just really wonderful. And I might, I just want to speak a little bit to the value of staying with the long arc of things and not prejudging how things might turn out. Yeah. And I, you know, that's something I say a lot too, is that this is a long game. You put the work in and you do the work on yourself and you put the love in and you put the positive intentions in and you might not get the results until they're in their twenties. They might be fighting, but if they're teenagers, especially, they might be fighting back at you and rejecting you for their teenagehood, right? But then at 25, they'll come back and say, oh, by the way, thank you so much for being there for me at my soccer games or whatever it is. And the whole time you thought they didn't care and they didn't notice. So, and that's another maturity thing, right? Is doing things not for the immediate gratification, but for the long term, which can be really challenging. Oh, this has been great talking to you. And as we wind up, I'd love to go back to how we started self-care and self-compassion. I think that's so true. And I think the more we love and accept ourselves, I really love the parenting coaches. One of the courses that I've done is Dr. Laura Markham's course. And she really starts with self-compassion. And I, I think that is the place to start from. The better you love and accept all the nitty gritty, ugly parts of yourself, the better you'll be able to accept and love those in other people. And that's something I talk about a lot with my clients too. If the ex is triggering you, like what parts of you are showing up in her that you're not okay with, that she's reflecting to you? Or same with the kids. Oftentimes they're triggered by their kids because they went through something similar in their lives where they were treated similarly as the kids are being treated by the bio mom. Or there's some, I mean, it's uncanny how often there's some reflection of their childhood in their triggers that their stepkids are showing them. So is there anything else you'd like to cover before we close? Oh, there is one thing I would like to cover. Yes. The one piece of advice that I really recommend and I like to tell people who are even in the dating process with men with kids is to take it way slower than you think you need to or feel ready for. Even if you're like, yes, I'm ready to jump in. I'm ready to move in. I can't stress enough the importance of taking your time and building those relationships slowly and building the trust slowly so that when you do come together and merge, if that's your path, that it happens in a more smooth and people are more ready for it. So that's a a major thing that I wanted to add. My website is upwardspiralwellness.com and all my services and groups are on there. I also work as a mental health therapist with entrepreneurs and creative leaders and specialize in food and body image issues, as well as working with stepmoms. And oftentimes, those are all intertwined with the stepmoms that I work with. Um, And if I could wave a magic wand and have anything happen for the women of the world and the stepmoms of the world, I would start a men's revolution. So that would be my one wish for the women of the world. We are so bound up in each other when we live in families. Our love is bound up and our freedom is bound up. And when any one of us has a closed heart or a place where we're stuck or places where we're not healed or we get triggered, it just ripples out and causes trouble for others. So 
whether it's a family of blood or choice or circumstance, people you're just stuck with because you love somebody else, we can do it really well. We can do it so much better. So I hope you got a few things out of this episode. This last weekend, I had the great fortune to be with my family because one of my bio kids got married and my stepdaughter was there and she's so lovely. You know, I met her when she was eight and she's in her early 20s now, mid 20s. And she has made a choice to be part of our larger family system. And there was a time when that wasn't really clear that it would turn out that way. But I have this feeling that if we just keep loving and accepting each other, that people do come around, that when you hold each other's best and highest good in your heart, and you really make the attempt to listen and to give them safe passage through your heart and mind, that anything is possible. So I wish you happy, healthy, whole relationships, and that as you continue in whatever kind of step relationship you're in, stepdaughter, stepchild, step parent, that it becomes one of allowance and grace. All right, uh, you can find me at the.rose.woman on Instagram. Come comment, come tell me what you think, or at Rosebud Woman, my company, we make beautiful body care and intimate wellness products for women. Um, also about freedom and liberation, in that case, body shame and sexual shame. And if you know somebody who is dealing with step uh, shiver, step quake, step, you know, challenges, then please take a pause and send them this episode. Love and blessings to everyone out there. Talk to you next time. 